Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. We'll read through verse 37 this morning. Hear God's holy, infallible word as it's read. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. And Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And a large crowd enjoyed listening to him. We'll end our reading there. A while back, I uh, watched a 2014 movie about Stephen Hawking, a uh, famous physicist and cosmologist, um, a movie called The Theory of Everything uh, that he searched for in his work. A theory of everything is a, a theory, a principle, a set of equations that fits all of physics and, and cosmology together, um, gravity and relativity and expansion of the universe and and all kinds of things. In other words, how do you fit together and summarize everything that exists? What what ties it all together? Hawking wasn't a Christian, and we uh, know that a key piece of a philosophical theory of everything must be the true and living God, the creator God. Uh, But questions about how to summarize and how to synthesize uh, various aspects of his world and our life and experience are possible uh, because God has created an ordered universe with physical laws and moral laws. But it's also helpful to, to think that way, to understand how things fit together and what, what priorities are. We have to do this in all kinds of areas of life. If um, in, in the moral realm, we might ask, you know, what is, uh, what is the key principle in parenting? Right? What, is, what is the most important goal? Uh, what's a summary approach? Or what is a key principle in marriage? What's, what's a pithy summary of what it's all about? Um, what is the key principle of our work or of our, our vocations? These are crucial and helpful questions to answer. Well, Jesus essentially answers the question today, what is, what is the synthesis of the entire Christian life? Uh, of, of life before God. What, what sums up all of living Coram Deo um, uh, every day? And Jesus' answer simply is love. Uh, love is a summary of that. Love is a summary, a synthesis of all the commands of God. It's a summary of 
faithfulness um, to God in the Christian life. And in one sense, we could say maybe that love is a, uh, a theory or the theory, perhaps, of everything. Um, everything exists because of a good God who wanted to share his love with creatures made in his image. Right? And this is why the universe exists. It's why after his creatures rebelled and fell into sin, it's why the, uh, the universe still exists. Um, out of his love, he came as a creature and suffered in love for, for us. Uh, it's, he, he's given us an eternal future because of his gracious love. And, and the rest of the Bible reflects love as a sort of theory of everything in the Christian life, a synthesis of what it's all about in serving our God. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, familiarly, uh, there Paul uh, says you can have this or that quality, you can uh, be spiritually impressive or accomplished or active, but without the first principle, without love in all of these things, uh, it's all a waste. Right? Or in Colossians 3, Paul says, and above all these, all these other things he's talked about, all these other commands, above all of these, put on love. Which what? It binds everything together in perfect unity. Uh, love binds everything together. Well, in this passage here we've read this morning, this is the last in this series of challenges that are brought to Jesus, leaders of the Jews trying to trap him, trying to um, trip him up in something he says so they can turn him over to uh, the authorities. Uh, and it's a scribe, uh, a lawyer who comes to him today. Uh, this is an, an expert in, in God's law and, and their whole legal system, um, an expert in expositing and applying and categorizing the law of God particularly. The, the scribes had, uh, according to ancient Jewish sources, they had counted 613 laws in the Old Testament, 613 commands, and they divided them into 365 negative commands and 248 positive commands. Uh, they debated which of these was the heavy laws and which were the light laws, not, not in the sense that um, some of them weren't important, they weren't all important, but uh, which were the most foundational and fundamental? Which, which commands of God des- demanded the most attention and uh, the severest punishment if, if they were neglected and so on? Um, we, you know, in our pop culture, we like to rank and debate things uh, maybe less significant. You know, who is, who is the GOAT? Is, is Tom Brady the greatest of all time? Is, is Tiger Woods the greatest of all time? And there's other debates uh, like that, like, like our uh, discussion of, of synthesizing and controlling principles, though, this is a, this is a good and needed discussion to have, uh, maybe not in the area of, of sports, that's just interesting, but it's good and needed in certain areas of life. Um, again, we do this in a lot of areas of life. If you work for a company, uh, you need to be clear among all of the policies and values and processes and so on of your company, which are the most important, which are the highest priority. Right, which are most fundamental. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be key in, in carrying out your job. And Jesus himself lent some um, legitimacy this, to this sort of thinking about God's word and God's commands. Uh, when in Matthew 5, uh, even if he wouldn't agree with the exact applications and everything of the Jewish leaders, he said, uh, he spoke about breaking one of the least of these commands. Right? There are 
greater commands of, of greater weight. There are those of lesser weight. The Proverbs speak of covering over sins with love at times. Uh, not all sins or, or errors um, require uh, punishment or confrontation and so on. So uh, th- this was the sort of question um, that the scribes would challenge each other with. Which of the 613 laws is most important, is most fundamental? And the, uh, some ancient Jewish sources, the Mishnah, the Talmud, they record famous rabbis giving answer to this exact question. Uh, so one famous rabbi uh, answered this question with uh, Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Uh, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. Uh, not a bad answer. We could see how we could connect a lot of um, uh, living before God to, to, to that verse. Another famous rabbi answered with Habakkuk 2, 4. The righteous will live by his faith. And so this, this question is posed to Jesus. And as we've seen, Jesus often refuses to answer questions from opponents or those who are trying to trip him up. Um, he often responds with a question of his own or he tells a parable um, or explains how they're misguided. But here he receives this as a very good and legitimate question um, and, and has a very clear and straightforward answer. And Jesus answers from Deuteronomy 6.4. This is the, the, the command of God that he chooses and says is, uh, the foremost, the weightiest. Uh, in verse 29, again, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. From that introduction, this is traditionally called the Shema uh, in, in Judaism. He um, goes on, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, here's the summary of, of all the commands of God of everything it means to obey, to serve, to live for God, uh, is love. Uh, Love that permeates every part of who you are and what you are. We we shouldn't get hung up on trying to uh, parse out all the pieces here of strength and mind and soul and and so on. It's it's collectively pointing to every aspect of who you are, every aspect of your personality is to be exerted in love for God. Uh, Give your total self totally to God. The emphasis is on the all, 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 repeated four times. Uh, There's no doubt that our our culture has twisted the meaning of love, um, the definition of love, even to the point of of really destroying it. Uh, Sometimes in countering that, you hear Christians say something like, uh, love is a verb, or love is actions, Uh, it's not feelings. Now, that's not entirely helpful or true. It's, that's an overcorrection. Um, uh, for one thing, love is a noun uh, as much as it's a verb. Um, but also, we'll get to the action, the sacrificial, selfless acting for the sake of another. But, but the most foundational love is a love for God from the heart, from your soul, with your mind. Right? It's, it's, it's not first... Uh, or only outward actions. Um, if you feel no affection for God, no desire for God, uh, then you don't love God. If love is simply a verb, then you do not love God. Uh, if you don't have love with all your heart, your soul, your mind, uh, your whole personality, including your heart, your emotions, your mind, your thinking, 
is directed towards God in love for who he is and, and what he's done for you. Uh, that's, that's the foundation of, of love and of all of our living before God. You should have that as a goal, uh, cultivating that, that kind of life-controlling love for God. And it, it comes largely, of course, from recognizing God's love for you. Uh, pray as, as Paul prayed, that you would know, that, that we would know, really know, comprehend what is the length, the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge for you. I'll look at number two on your outline with me then. Uh, the scribe only asked for one law. Uh, which is the one that's the foremost, but Jesus has more to say, and he quotes from Leviticus 19 as well. In verse 31, he says, The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he links these two together, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself, uh, saying there is no other commandment greater than these. But I've been implying they have to go together. Uh, these are the two greatest commandments. You're going to ask me which which command is the greater. It's 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 these two together. And there there's a priority between them, love for God first, but it can't be separated from love for your neighbor. They, they can't really be understood one without the other. They're they're inextricable. I think that's in part because we we can conclude, we can say from from the scriptures that the chief way that you express the chief way you live out your love for God is in loving others. That's not to say, again, that there's not a love towards God that's direct, that has to do with your thoughts, your feelings towards God himself directly, your, your loyalty to him, your love for him. But that can't be separated from the fact that most of your obedience to God, most of your reflecting his love uh, has to do with your loving and serving other people. It plays out in your love for others around you. You can't have one without the other. Uh, John pointed this in 1 John chapter 4. He said, we love because he first loved us. And later in that chapter, he says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How you love God is, is the chief measure. Um, how you love others is the chief measure and evidence of, of your love for God. Uh, whether you love God at all and, and what, that, what that love for God is like in you. And Jesus said uh, in John 13, verse 35, very importantly, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. That, that's quite a statement to begin with. Uh, we should pay attention to what follows. This is how people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is how people will know if you are a follower of Christ. Uh, not by your attending worship, though that is important and could be evidence, should be evidence of your love for him. Not by having nice kids or not knowing doctrine inside and out. Uh, these are good things, but by your love for others. That was, that was the one thing that Jesus pointed to, above all. And what's the measure of how you love others? It's as you love yourself. Right? This isn't some, as it's been used, it's not some uh, 
call to or or um, uh, condoning self-esteem or something like that. It's it, the scriptures are assuming that all of us love ourselves well. Uh, how attentive are you to yourself? How aware are you of your worries and your stresses? Uh, how understanding are you of your weaknesses? How much thought goes into what you need and what you want and what you feel? That, that's the standard for loving others in a way that reflects the love of God that will be recognized in you. As Jesus says, you know, when you see a, a policeman, you immediately recognize it's a policeman right? because of how they're dressed. You see a, a blue and orange shirt with a horse head on it, right? You recognize a Broncos fan. Right? You will be known and recognized by your love, Jesus says. By your love of others. And your willingness to sacrifice your time and spend your emotions and share your space. Uh, you'll be recognized by your quickness to forgive and your slowness to judge. You'll be recognized by your eagerness to know and understand people uh, rather than making assumptions and being the expert. You'll, you'll be recognized by your eagerness to listen rather than talking at people all the time. You'll be recognized by your slowness to just get on to the next thing as one who's always looking to serve and help and meet needs and not leave till the needs are done. This, these are the, the, the things that reflect the ways that we already and constantly love ourselves. I just want to remind you, as, as Christians, you have, in giving love, you have what every human needs. And the kind of love that you know and, and can give. You know, for some Christians, in one sense, it's easy for them to show love outwardly and visibly and maybe impressively. What, what I mean is simply that some people can write big checks. Some people can whip out, you know, talents and and. Um, gifts and resources that they've gained and use them here and there in, in maybe more impressive and outward ways. And that's great. That's wonderful. Um, if you have those resources, that's, that's the least you ought to do to love if, if, it's, if it's easier to do that. But, but you may not have impressive resources uh, or gifts or experiences. But you can love. Right? The Scriptures say you have the love of God poured into your hearts. You can give yourself your time, your attention, your prayer, your concern, your less visible gifts perhaps, and above all, you can speak about the love and the promises and the presence of Jesus to anyone. You can share the gospel, the love of God. I said earlier that the love of God is a sort of theory of everything, of the Christian life. Love for others is a, a summarizing principle, a synthesis of how we treat others, how we think about everyone in our lives. Uh, the, the men just finished on Saturday morning studying First Peter. And uh, in, in chapter 4, we came to the verse after many other instructions. Peter said, above all, above all, keep loving one another fervently, since love covers a multitude of sins. Well, let's pray that we be known by that in our congregation. Uh, thirdly, uh, look at number three on your outline. Uh, the scribe responds to Jesus and uh, interestingly totally agrees with him and says that Jesus has answered rightly. And then consider Jesus' response to him. Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently. Verse 34, and he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
this isn't the way these interactions have usually ended uh, with, with the Jewish leaders coming to challenge Jesus and them uh, mutually commending each other on their excellent answers. Um, but Jesus says, he, he, he commends him. He, he, the, the scribe seems to know God's word in, uh, in some right ways. He's thinking rightly about it. He's drawing some good conclusions. The scribe even added um, in verse 33, uh, another very biblical note that, that, this is, that, that love from the heart is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, than just going through the motions as you could of serving God and worshiping God. And so Jesus concludes, he's, he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Which is to say, in, in some sense, he's, he's close. But we know, of course, that, that close to the kingdom of God is not in the kingdom of God. It doesn't ultimately count. It's still not in at all. Jesus tells a number of parables about people who were close. They were right at the door. And, and at the judgment day, they were shocked to find they were right on the outside of the door instead of the inside of the door. And Jesus doesn't say why the, the scribe is, is not far rather than in the kingdom. I think our best guess is that, that he knows the right answers, but he doesn't really have the love that he's talking about, that Jesus is talking about. And, and in an important sense, we need to be clear, none of us do. Right? None of us have the love that's described in these verses. Uh, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all of our minds, all of the time. Loving other people as we love ourselves. But perhaps the scribe sees this as simply a, a box to check, right? an answer to know. I know the answer to that question. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. Right? Rather than, than a saving relationship to have, a calling to struggle in and toward this kind of love all throughout life. The, the commands of God and a relationship with God is not about checklists and rankings and, and knowledge. It's about our desperate need for a divine Savior. And so this is really not much different from the passage that we studied a month ago on, on the Good Samaritan. You remember what, what prompts that interaction where Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan is the question, how do I get eternal life? Right? What, what do I need to do? And, and Jesus tells a story then, the Good Samaritan, designed to make us see, to make him see and us see, I do not meet that standard of love. I don't love others like that. I, I'm guilty. I fall short. Well, just very briefly look at, at verses 35 to 37 here. Um, it, it's, not, it's not perfectly clear whether Jesus spoke these words in the same context, whether, he, uh, whether this was you know, right in the same conversation or not, uh, but it's easy to see why Mark included this here, I think. Jesus now, having been questioned and questioned and questioned, now he becomes the questioner again. And poses the question of verse 35, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? Son of David was a, a common and well-known title, uh, identity for the Messiah. And, and biblically so, the Old Testament uh, said that he would be a descendant of David. And Jesus points him to, uh, and quotes from Psalm 110 here, which is um, the most quoted passage in the Old Testament in the New Testament. Uh, Psalm 1 is used many times. Um, 
Psalm 1 is about a king being crowned. God crowns a king and, and gives him ultimate victory over all of his enemies in the earth. And it's commonly, it was commonly understood as speaking about the Messiah. The New Testament points to it in that way as well. But Jesus is calling the scribes to think more carefully about what's actually said in Psalm 110 as it begins. Again, it, it begins there in verse 36 this way. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Uh, Speaking about a king being being crowned. You read the rest of the psalm later. But those those two lords, the Lord said to my Lord in, in Hebrew is two different words, two entirely different words. The first one is the covenant name of God. It's Yahweh. Now, this is God. Yahweh said to my Lord, that, that is the more generic Adonai. Right? That um, often, very often the Old Testament is is addressed to God. Uh, but but doesn't have to be addressed only to God. But it's it's Yahweh said to my Lord, my Master, Adonai. But but what's interesting is that David doesn't say, writing this psalm about the crowning of a king, he doesn't say the Lord said to the king, or the Lord said to uh, the Messiah, but he says to my Lord. And that, that's what Jesus is pointing out. Why does David call this future king, his future son, his Lord? The, the Jews probably would have expected the Messiah, this you know, next king to come long after David, to look back to the great David and call David Lord, his father, his master. But it's, it's the reverse. And so Jesus isn't denying that the Messiah is, is the son of David. That's not the point. He's challenging the, the Jewish leaders to think, is that title enough? Is it enough just to think of Jesus as a son of David, as, as a descendant of David? Is that adequate to really understand who he is? And the point is that David calls this king Lord because he's God. He's the son of God. And David knew even a thousand years before that, that he was that this Messiah was his Lord. And this is maybe what the scribe is missing. In terms of Jesus saying, You're you're not far from the kingdom of of God, but he's but he's still not there. He maybe respects Jesus as a teacher. They, they uh, mutually praise each other in this interaction. He, he respects Jesus as a good debater about the law, perhaps, but he needs to see him as a divine Savior. The only one who can pay for his sins, for his loveless life. Right? So he's not far, but in another sense, he's, he's still so far. And this, this remains a huge danger for any of us, it remains a danger in the church that any of us would be not far from the kingdom in the sense that we know our Bibles, we, we live generally good lives and so on, and yet we could still be so far, not really living under, not really living for the Lordship of Jesus. Knowing the answers is not being in, in the kingdom of God. Here's one way related to this passage, I think, that, that we sometimes hear this in our uh, the broader Christian culture around us. Um, uh, sometimes you'll hear people say the message of Jesus was just love. Right? That's, that's pretty much the summary of anything Jesus said. Just, just love each, each other. People will say, I just love Jesus. I don't concern myself with the details. Right? Love is my creed, or, or Jesus just wants us to love. He's, he's done away with all the burdensome, strict commands of that grumpy God in the Old Testament. 
All right, this, is, this is a perspective you've probably heard. And, and he says, just love each other. I read, uh, saved an article a few years ago um, on these verses here, or maybe the parallel in Matthew, um, from the religion section of the Huffington Post online, which is not a great place to go for commentary in the Gospels, but for um, for evidence of, of you know the culture's thinking, it, it is an interesting source. Uh, but the the, artic- the the author writing on these verses writes that these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Trump everything else that any, anyone else has, has ever said. And the author writes, I quote, Jesus was, about, was all about love. No rules and regulations, just love. And, and he goes on to argue that Jesus' top commands here, as he calls them, require us to refrain from making any kind of moral judgments about anything or anyone. And so this becomes sort of the proof text for uh, relativism. And, and tolerance. No one should be denied anything that they want or think uh, because that would not be loving. And, and not surprisingly, the article goes on to particularly apply this to, to gay marriage and, and so on, and that's, that's not my uh, emphasis here. Uh, but, but in that way, this command, by, in the mind of some, seems to be emphasized. Jesus is all about love, right? But Jesus is then turned into this squishy, all-affirming guru of love. And we're left with the question again, what is love? What does that mean? Right? How? And then that's why we need the reminder, perhaps in, in line in part with what the scribe needed here, that, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord of love. Jesus defines what love is. Love does summarize all of the Christian life. But love doesn't set aside the commands of God. It summarizes them. The content of love is defined by the Lord of love and by His his law, His commands. How, How do you know that the love presented in virtually every romantic comedy movie ever made is not love without the law of God? Right? You, you probably know the plot where two people are always at the beginning of the movie, they're always engaged or married already, and then one of them finds someone else that they love more, love, and eventually by the movie, the end of the movie, they get with that person, right? And, and everything is good. And God's law teaches us, His Word teaches us, the sacrificial faithfulness of love. How do you know it's not loving to enable a child in their sin or someone else rather than to confront it uh, at appropriate times? How do you know that without God's commands? It often might feel more loving to do the other thing. How do you know how to express your love for God in worship without the law of God? And, And we could go on and on. Jesus said, the one who obeys my commands, he is the one who loves me. So we need the law, the commands of God to know what, what love is. It, it, it defines what love is, how we love. Right? You think of the Ten Commandments as a summary of, of God's good law. The first four of the Ten Commandments tell us how to love God. And the last six of the Ten Commandments how, is how we love each other, how we love others. I'll just close by saying as well, you you need the law and the commands of God to know what love is also in terms of showing you your failure to love as God created you to. 
to love as, as God loves. We all fall short of this love. And so we're shown our need for forgiveness and a Savior and a new heart. This is an affirming of whatever we feel in our hearts. It's a call to love in a way that reflects the perfect love of God. It shows the ultimate expression of love in all of history, God becoming a man and suffering and dying on a cross. He came because we're loveless, right? Because we've rejected and often failed in the love that God created us for and called us to. And yet he's in love redeemed us from that. So I, I just want to close again with that verse from 1 Peter chapter 4. Above all, keep loving one another fervently. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you again this week for uh, your uh, perfect word. Uh, for the reminder that the summary of all of our obedience to you and uh, living for you of all of life and existence is love. I pray that you would impress that on us this morning and as we go from here, give us reflection on that, uh, in the uh, reflection on the fact that in the, the great summary of faith and hope and love, that uh, love is the one that lasts uh, for eternity. Lord, we pray that we as a, a congregation would be reflecting uh, your love to each other, uh, to those outside of our congregation, that we would be uh, known and marked in that way, as the Lord Jesus said that we would. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.